Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Drew with you here for our first segment. Lots to talk about here. Is uh, my gosh, boys, boys, we're coming off of a win this week. Coming off of a win. Oh, what Snap a win. Snap and what a win it was. We haven't won a football game in that fashion in a long, long time. Um, UCF grinds out a win against ECU at home. Fourth quarter comeback. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to, of course, preview this week's huge game. Number three, Cincinnati on the road. Uh, noon kickoff, ABC, Eric Lopez. It's getting, A lot of eyeballs going to be on this one. Maybe not as many as we were thinking a few weeks ago, but still a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, we'll certainly see in a lot of obviously how the game plays out, but uh, it could, you know, this will be a marquee. Of course, UCF Cincinnati, some would say this could be the marquee rivalry moving forward for UCF when they get into that other Big 12. Yep. Yep. Well, we've got, uh, we're going to preview that. Clayton Truder from our SB Nation sister site down the drive covering Cincinnati will be uh, joining us as well later on in the show. And we've got a lot of news coming with Bryson Turner as well, a little bit later, uh, including uh, basketball preseason starting up uh, with the uh, all conference selections, the preseason polls, all that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll talk about, it is a busy show, but let's start by just putting a bow on um, the ECU game. Uh, 20 to 16 was the final. Touchdown run by Mark Anthony Richards with 20 seconds left on the clock gave UCF the victory. Uh, um, This is a game where they were down 16 to 10 uh, late and came back and got the win. I thought um, it was a lot of patience showed by the coaching staff in this game, especially in the fourth quarter. It felt like they played everything right and got it in order to get the result that they needed um, we'll pull up some stats on this and a few of this, but, but I want to start with you, Drew, you know, this is the first win since the Dylan Gabriel injury. So how much of a confidence builder was this game for not just Mikey Keene, but the entire team? It's something that Gus Melzahn said that the team got more confidence in Keene more so than the coaching staff did and more than Keene himself, uh, when when they were talking about it, uh, it was asked, you know, what was said to help boost him up in that final drive? Because I mean that that's a pressure cooker situation. You're down, you have very little time, and you have a ways to go. And basically, he said it came down to a couple of players, not coaches, uh, especially Sam Jackson, the offensive lineman, who said some good words to to Mikey, 
and you know the rest is history. But I, I got to get a lot of credit to the UCF defense, who's been yep. much maligned all year. They did a marvelous job ke- keeping Keaton Mitchell, who has been averaging over nine and a half yards a carry to under four yards a carry. You know, 17 carries, 65 yards. That's the X factor right there is Tatum Bethune comes back from a concussion and just absolutely dominates 17 tackles. Outstanding game. Holden Ehlers was, was held relatively in check for the gunslinger that he is, sacked four times, disrupted a lot. This defense came out to play. They had a chip on their shoulder. They played angry, and it worked. Boy, did it work. And this resets the season. They're three and two. They only need three more wins for bowl eligibility. But you, you push the reset button. You're coming off a win. The monkey is off the of Mikey Keene's back of, can I win that first game? And now you're going to Cincinnati, where you need as much momentum as you possibly have, because they still remember the two embarrassing losses they suffered in 17 and 18. And if you look at 19 and 20, those were both close games. So mm-hmm. you can you know they're out for blood. Yeah. Elo? I just keep thinking, wondering what goes through Gus's mind with just, it seems like every week they have injuries coming out of this game. Like now we have Kalia Davis, who some would argue is their best offensive player out for the year. Yeah. So now ACL, he really, he revealed it on his uh, newsletter. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Like what if you're Gus? Such a shame. It's terrible. So if you're Gus, it's amazing. I don't think he's ever dealt with this. And Aubrey, I just wonder what's going through his mind. What is he do, thinking as he goes to his office and he's asking, all right, who's healthy today? I mean, it's just tough. I agree with what you said about the ECU. He managed that fourth quarter very well. Yeah, He didn't panic. He, he kicked the field goal. He, def, he believed in his defense. They get the ball back. I thought he managed that game. And they're going to have to do that moving forward because they're just too banged up right now, uh, this team. But, you know, Drew, I, I agree with you on this. The Cincinnati game is not the most important game from this standpoint. It's not going to define the season. If they lose this game, they're still three and three. How do they do moving forward is going to be the key question. And when do they get some of these bodies back? Hopefully, whenever they do, they're healthy. I wouldn't rush anybody back for this week. I would try to get them ready whenever they're ready. But, man, it's just this is definitely right up there with – the most injured UCF football team ever. Like this is probably Wait, 04 esque. I was going to say, weren't we talking about that, Drew? Like, when was the last time we saw an injury bug like this hit UCF? I'd have to say 2004. It's got to be right. Brandon yeah. Marshall and Mike Walker had to move from the offense as the top wide receivers on the team to defense because yeah, they had two, no NF, two NFL wide receivers had to play defense. <laughs> had to play defense. In fact, one led the team in interceptions and the other led the team in tackles. Yep. And that's how, how barren that cupboard was. But, you know, we, I would be remiss if we didn't also call out the special teams for such a great turnaround from a disastrous Navy game to mm-hmm. a near-perfect, you know, game against East Carolina outside of a rough-in-the-punter call that and they went all out on a block and he, he just, just missed and yeah. took, took the punter at the end of the half. Hard at the, yeah. near the end of the half. Other than that, nearly flawless. I mean, Daniel Obarski did everything that was asked for him. You know, pair of big field goals, especially that fourth quarter field goal, a new career high, 40 yards. He took care of his extra points. And then Andrew Austin, who had the, the, the 
bad shank and the block last week. This week, you know, six punts over 41 yards. And, and I've said this from from uh, online and many other places. People forget Andrew Osteen has one of the top averages per punt in UCF school history. He's a good punter. Unfortunately, everyone has a bad kick, and he just happened to have, you know, some bad dice rolls in, in the same game. But th- this was more of an indicator of, of what kind of player he is. I mean, the special teams really stepped up, did a marvelous job compared to last week. Coach Malzahn pointed it out how, how good of a turnaround it was, and that made the difference. They won by four. Uh, Obarski scored eight points. I mean, do the math. I want to, I do want to call out Daniel Obarsi because he, you know, the fans I felt really got on him last year unfairly so far this year, he has not missed a single kick. He's missed zero extra points. He is three for three on field goals, including, like you said, a new career long of 40 uh, and on kickoffs, none out of bounds, 32 kickoffs this year, zero out of bounds, 24 touchbacks. Oh, yeah, he's got a cannon of a leg, and that's why he's still out there. Yeah. Now, he had that's that a 75% touchback rate. That's that's high. He had the one block, which wasn't his fault. Right. I don't think they, blocks should, should be sits on the it sits yeah. on the stats though. I mean, there's no way to, to avoid it. But, right. But yeah. I but it's like it's like it's like errors in baseball. It's like I don't think a block should count as a miss. And, and unfortunately, you know, that, unfortunately that's just, it does. That's but, just the way the way but, well, not well, not officially, not officially, because he because in the stats he still is his three for three for three. So huh. So it doesn't count as a miss. Anyway, um, that might be a pro versus college thing. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, I, I tell you, the key juncture of that game. Uh, so ECU got the ball right before the uh, end of the third. It took over 17 seconds left in the third. They go on a, uh, what was it? It was a 17, 16 play, 66 yard drive that took up eight minutes and 16 seconds. And all I got was a field goal out of it. That was when the defense really made, really made a huge play. Uh, it was, they got all the way down to the UCF 10. They had a third and seven at the UCF 10. Keenan Hester came up with a huge sack on Ehlers to back him up six yards. Uh, and from there, Daffer hit that 34 yard field goal. If they score, it's a total, if they scored a touchdown, it's a totally different game. Then you're in hurry up mode. Right. But from there, um, you know, they got the UCF got the ball back. There was the 49 yard pass to Johnny Richardson that set up the field goal. That, and I remember the fans were booing on the fourth and six at, uh, at the ECU 22. They wanted, um, they wanted Gus to go for it. Like you said, Eric, smart move, kicking the field goal, getting within, one, getting within three and trust your defense would just stop East Carolina on that, on that long drive. Um, and, and has held him for most of the game. Guess what? Three and out. So a little bit of poor, uh, game management by ECU there. A couple rushes up the middle and then Ehlers' pass was incomplete. Devonte Brown made a big play and then UCF got the ball with three thirty nine left, um, and, and moved the ball. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a big key. That was uh, that, that drive at the end of the game, by the way, and you got to give props to Mikey Keene. That last drive was huge. 11 plays, 64 yards in three minutes and 16 seconds. And they scored with 23 seconds left to go in the game. I, well, I mean, you got it. You got to hand it to him. He, he really, he made a couple of key throws. I think, how many uh, third downs did he convert in that, Drew? I think it was. 
think it was um, five. I think there were five of fifteen on the day. Well, well, he he had the big, he had the big fourth down conversion, right? The fourth and eight at the ECU forty three. He hit he hit Mark Anthony for a first down, yeah. uh, and then the third and, and scored one, a touchdown on on scored the touchdown third on third down. Down. Play, and played that goal to go situation perfectly because ECU was having to burn their timeouts, and they and, and I thought you know they I was up in the up in the PA booth I was thinking we got a, the ideal situation is to score on third down because you, because since, uh, or ECU would have been out of timeouts and at least you could burn the clock down underneath one play clock worth of time. And that's exactly what they did. And they scored with 23 seconds left. Yeah. And Houston didn't use his t- last timeout, which he probably should have. I mean, trust me, these Carolina fans were not happy with him or Holton yeah. Aylers. They would like Holton Aylers to graduate already. Uh, from what I listened to the post games in Greenville, you think UCF fans are, don't take losses well? And trust me, ECU is not taking it very well. Either. I don't think anyone has taken losses well at all this year. I don't know what's in, no. what's it's in been the ether, man, year. but it's, it's been bad. It's, it's, but, it's, it's wild. But they put. But again, Gus did a great job. Again, he knew, and I think this is why I'm not like advanced analytics gets overblown. It's a nice tool to have, but you got to have a feel for the game. Gus had a feel for the game. He knew his defense was playing well. That's why you kicked the field goal there. I thought that was smart. Uh, if the game was 38-35 or whatever, or 38-31 or 38-32, let's say, at that point, maybe you don't go for the field goal there because your defense hasn't shown they could stop anybody. That's part of coaching. That's why I think you got, I will say this, if there's a positive, Look, some years are not your year, and this is clearly not UCF's year. Injuries, when you have a ton of injuries, that tells you pretty much it's a sign that it's not meant to be. This is the right coach for this situation. I don't think there's another UCF coach that they've ever had that could handle this situation. I don't think there's another UCF coach ever that would have won Saturday night's game other than Gus. I definitely don't think George would have won that game. I don't think Scott wins that game. I don't think Gene Why? Because I don't think those guys could have handled all this adversity and being shorthanded. Gus did. Gus did. I think okay. he's that good of a coach. I well, I think that may be a little bit of a of a of a stretch uh, to to kind of throw Gene in that. But I do want to point something out to kind of justify why they ran the ball on that last drive, Jeff. If you look at the previous two drives, they had nine runs of five or more yards, mm-hmm. six of them on that big drive that opened the fourth quarter. Yeah. So I'm, they were moving the ball. The defense was tiring out because they, they ran the ball a lot during the game. So I was, yeah. Raji so- Harris was the guy who was really running. Uh, or Raj, uh, yeah. Raj, he was, he was the guy who was really running the ball. Well, yeah, he was. The um, I felt like, hand. I felt like UCF had no answer, big physical back. And, uh, uh, but they switched it over to Mitchell and on the first two downs and Mitchell got nothing on those first two downs. UCF had Mitchell's number. I, I yeah. just, it was just absolutely amazing. You know, 39 carries total for the day, 141 yards. They outcarried UCF. They had fewer yards. They averaged only 3.6 yards a carry for the game as a team. And that that's amazing. So even when they were starting to give up these chunk yards at the end, you know, later in the game, when they're starting to tire, they they still played a phenomenal game, but that's kind of why they were trying to push the ball on the, on the ground. But but UCF Ben don't break, yep. and the other thing to keep in mind was the time of possession. UCF had the time of possession of over twenty seven minutes. That gave that defense a lot of time to rest, recharge, get energy, and and renew focus. And and I think that showed up on the field. So while you know. Belzon's big on the no huddle. You know, UCF fans love speed. Slowing down the game was probably the reason they won the game. 
Well, he's big on varying speed. I think, I think that's the key difference also. And we talked about this, you know, in the off season between him and Heupel is Heupel's just go, 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 go constantly. He only knows one speed and that's eighth gear, right? Mm-hmm. Gus has been very adept at, 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 at pulling it know, back. Yeah. It's sort of riding the throttle, right? Um, they will go tempo when they get a first down to try and catch the offense, the off the defense off, you know, off guard, but then he knows where to throw He knows when to throttle it back. And I think that's, that's really good. So we spin this forward to Cincinnati now and we're going to find out exactly. Well, I mean, not, maybe not exactly, but we're going to find out uh, uh, what's, I, I think this is a big character game for UCF coming up because yes, you're coming off your first win since that two game losing streak. And when, really, when you think about it, guys, all the struggles that we've been talking about the last few weeks, UCF is basically two plays from being five and up. When you really think about it. Yeah, two plays. but I mean, yeah, we could play two that plays. game with her. The Amari Johnson, the the the, uh, the interception at the end of the at, at the end of the uh, Cincinnati game goes a different way. All of a sudden, boom, you're in field goal range. You win that game, and then Navy, you have goal to go. You're also two plays game. away from being one and four. If we could play that game, so I mean, yeah. I, okay, I, but I, but know. considering where they are right now, sure, and I, all I, the kvetching that's been going on. It's, I still think you should feel pretty good about where you are. Now, you're facing the number three team in the country at noon on ABC. And Cincinnati is wrecking people right now. They're the number two scoring defense in the country, the number nine scoring offense in the country. They have Desmond Ritter. Um, interestingly enough, ECU game for UCF finally tied the all-time series at 10-10. UCF and ECU have played more than any two teams uh, that UCF has ever played. This series at Cincinnati is tied 3-3. UCF's three wins all came consecutively by a combined score of 113 to 39 between 2016 and 2018. Since then, Cincinnati has beaten UCF twice, each by three points. Um, it's it, it, the setup for this is is going to be uh, epic if you're a Cincinnati fan, no doubt. We're going to talk to Clayton Truder in a little bit, but I just want us to sort of set the scene right now. Before and then we'll take a break. We'll talk to Clayton and then we'll give our and then we'll give our keys to the game. But this is a big challenge. So, Eric, I'll start with you. What's the big key here for Gus in this game? Because you know, I I, I know you don't like advanced stats, but I keep looking at them and they like UCF to Does the advanced the stats take people for, think the stats advanced take for account that this team is actually broken like right now and that we <laughs> yes, don't even know who we do we don't even know who's going to show up. Yes, like that's the it's problem. A tw- it's a 20 and a half point spread. They're thinking UCF covers. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the only chance you got, you got to get off to a fast start. And I know that sounds condescending, but I think when you're an underdog like this, you got to come out with a fast start. If you could get an early score, take the lead, that would put pressure on the opponent at that point. When, when you're a heavy favorite and you're trailing, there's that sense of pressure. That's the chance you got. Mm-hmm. I will be curious. Because Cincinnati knows that they've got pressure. You're number three in the country. Right. You're in the right. American. You have to win with style. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what that's how the sport works. And, you know, I'll be curious how Gus handles this from that standpoint. Does he come out, you know, with some, you know, we've seen he's not shy to try trick plays. So, I mean, how yeah. many trick do we see a lot of trick plays here, especially early in the game? I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I'm very curious to see how he handles that because you got, you know, Mikey King is going up against a incredible defense. That's going to have multiple players from that defensive side of the ball. That's going to be playing in the NFL drew, especially that secondary. Ooh, that secondary is, is, is 
is lights out. Yeah, Ahmad Garner, <laughs> uh, he, uh, definitely going to be a first round pick. Uh, Arquan Bush, uh, Kobe Bryant, all, all very active pass deflections, interceptions. Yes, his name is Kobe Bryant. Yeah, it's spelled right. differently, C-O-B-Y, but it's still Kobe Bryant. And then you have uh, Deshaun Pace at linebacker, who's just everywhere. He's intercepting the ball. He's he's causing fumbles. He leads the team in tackles. Uh, th- this is just a scary defense. And Stout. Uh, there's there's no weak point. There's no real weak point. Uh, you, yeah. you probably have a better chance of running the ball than passing the ball. But right now, that's really what UCF's strength is, is running versus passing. So uh, that may be why the analytics say, hey, UCF has a chance. But I, if UCF wasn't, you know, half, you know, in the hospital, uh, I, I would think a lot differently. But I'm, this, is, this is a very beat-up team. You, know, you lost Kalia Davis for the year. You know, Isaiah Bowser has been out. You know, Dylan Gabriel's out. You know, Jalen Robinson's been out. I mean, you're, lose, you're losing key players at key positions, and, and that makes a material impact on how you're going to play against these top teams. I and mean, this is by far the best team that UCF is going to play. And that and it's not even by a close margin. I mean, SMU is good, but I mean, Cincinnati is just, I think another level or two higher. And by the way, yeah, they have a dual quarter, a dual threat quarterback. And you know, Who we, UCF we, yeah. does uh, has <laughs> no. a history of not doing well against no. dual threat quarterbacks. Desmond yeah. Ritter. Uh, we learned that a couple of weeks ago. Look, Although Ehlers last week, he's not really a dual threat Ehlers. And I mean, the funny thing is Ritter has not had to run the ball much this year. No, yeah. he's a much improved passer this year. Uh, and Clayton, Ritter, Clayton and I talked about it. We'll talk about that. 73 so. for 115. Uh, that's 63 and a half percent. That's, that's, that's pretty good for Ritter. That's his career best right now. He's uh, out of career 45 year. yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, he's carried the ball 30 times for only 98 yards, but for him, that's low, but he hasn't had to, he's had Jerome Ford, 67 carries 367 yards and and a half dozen touchdowns to his name so you have a capable running back uh, of carrying it and and the fact that his throwing has been been solid and he hasn't had to really get challenged against really tough defenses outside of Notre Dame where they just absolutely smacked him in the face uh, they, he hasn't had to tuck the ball and run but he can and he's good at it and, you know, UCF's defensive line is good at causing pressures. And so you're going to have to be aware that he could tuck it and run it any time. He may not be as agile as Malik Cunningham for, for Louisville, but, boy, is he a savvy runner. Yeah. Uh, he's – Clayton wrote earlier this week a Desmond Ritter for Heisman. I'll tell you what, I'll put him up there against anybody in that race right now. He, he's he the straw that serves the drink for them. He I don't see, uh, who, who else has a better resume right now? Who else has been more important? Caleb Williams of Oklahoma, if he uh, picks up where he left off in the Texas game, will be right I mean, up there. Probably. The only other guy I can think of is Willis from Liberty. Nah, I mean, no, I would have any, Ritter. Yeah, there's yeah. Not it's not a great guys. year for the Heisman. He, he, would, he would go to New York, no doubt. Maybe, I agree with that. Maybe yeah. a running back from Wake Forest. Well, and I think this Desmond's also trying to move his stock up in the NFL draft, and and we yeah. talked, we heard this. Well, a mission accomplished, man. <laughs> well, no, he's a big kid too. He's six four. Yeah. You know, he's he's a prospect this now. He's a legit a soft, prospect. We talked about this before the season ever started. This is a soft quarterback class, and it's only getting softer as the season's worn on. We've seen right. Spencer Rattler struggled. Spencer Rattler, Rattler got benched, yeah, against uh, Texas. I mean, this is big, and and you know. 
Desmond Ritter is the one rising up. I mean, we were thinking this would be a good chance for Dylan Gabriel. That didn't quite work out either. I know. So, I, we were we were both so we were also looking forward to just uh you know, I was telling Clayton, uh, which we'll hear in just a second, uh, just an okay corral shootout between Dylan Gabriel and Des and Desmond Ritter. And I I feel bad for college football that we've been robbed. Well, that, that. would have been, I think, if that UCF epic. If UCF oh. was half health, healthy, especially with Dylan. This would have been an ABC primetime game, probably with Fowler and Herb Street with and game, game day. day. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they probably would have gotten game day if, if UCF wasn't half, That's probably, half probably. up, hold up at home injured. Right. Force right. some well, turnovers. Force some turnovers. That's the other thing defensively, real quick. Yeah. They got to do that. That you, To pull Since this he up. Is one of the nation's leaders in turnover margins. You got to hit him. So you got you to turn it against him. When you're this big of an underdog and underman, you need the other team to help you out. Yep. That's right. You could play. You could play the perfect game and still lose. Correct. In this game, but you know you. But if they play the perfect game, they're going to beat you. So, um, stick around. When we come back. Clayton Truder is going to join us. He's the uh, he's an editor. He's the editor of Down the Drive, which is our Cincinnati sister site on SB Nation. Talk about not just Desmond Ritter, but the rest of the Cincinnati roster. How Cincinnati fans view UCF. Really interesting stuff there, and. Uh, the move to the Big 12 from the Bearcats' perspective. We know all about it from UCF's perspective, but how did it feel being Cincinnati, uh, following Cincinnati and seeing them go to the Big 12? What does it mean for them coming up when we return? It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Drew with you. And also joining us a, a little bit earlier before we recorded, uh, I hooked up with Clayton Truder, who's the editor of Down the Drive, uh, our sister site on SB Nation covering the Cincinnati Bearcats. Of course, Cincinnati number three in the country coming into their noon game against UCF at home. Um, something of a, a week of coronation with the uh, for the Bearcats with uh, a couple teams going down in front of them. They find themselves in position, at least as of right now, where they could be if they run the table in the college football playoff coming out of the American, something that UCF in 2017 wanted to do but couldn't. Um, there's a couple different things that have happened to get to that point. But nonetheless, UCF has at least, you know, we think to some point paved the way for Cincinnati. So, what is the situation with the Bearcats? What do we know about uh, what do we know about Desmond Ritter? How much better is he than we have seen in the past? Lord knows he's been good against UCF in the past. Who else are some of the key players that we're going to need to watch um, wearing the red and black? What about uh, the campus in general? What's uh, what's the situation with the Bearcats and the, their move to the Big Twelve, which they will be coming up to that league along with UCF? We talk about that and more with Clayton Truder right here. Joining me now from down the drive, Clayton Truder, our SB Nation compadre covering the Cincinnati Bearcats, the number three Cincinnati Bearcats right now. Clayton, you guys must be in total heaven right now, like not really knowing what to do with that with that really low number right next to your name. How are you doing, man? I've been doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. It's still weird to hear a third rank. 
Although all I hear from the people is, well, we should be ranked second right now. So there's always people pushing it for a little more, a little more, a little more. I think they're envisioning a rematch with Georgia kind of thing moving forward at this point. Well, uh, USF has been touting that one time they got ranked number two for 14 years now. So (laughs) if you get to number two, we wouldn't mind actually you guys getting to number two, but what do we got here? A big game here on uh, at noon on Saturday between UCF and Cincinnati. We were just talking right before we went on that we were we were both fully expecting at the start of the year that this to be a a collision course matchup of two five and zero American Athletic Conference Titans, and then you know really UCF is two plays away from that, but true freshman quarterback Mikey Keene coming in, and then the story right now I think has been you know, you guys just scoring a ton of points on offense and this defense, Luke Fickle's defense has just been outstanding. Second in the country in scoring defense, 12.2 points a game, ninth in this country in scoring offense at 41 a game. So you guys are just waxing people left and right. Um, Where is Cincinnati, not just the team, but the fan base's head at right now, trying to understand like that this is where the team is. I think ever since getting uh, getting for being one of the new teams in the Big 12, it's just been this very heady moment for Cincinnati fans where none of it exactly seems real. I think there's people who envision this as being a national title season. I think my goal is simply to make the college football playoff. To me, that's the next step. If they get there, it's 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 moving beyond just the aspect of being this kind of mid-major conference. So I think Cincinnati fans, there's people who've been fans for a long time who look back a decade ago when they had a great run. But I think for most people, it's very much uh, unprecedented territory for the Bearcats. And in terms of having a face for it, in some ways, it's really all on Desmond Ritter's shoulders. He's really even more so than Fickle, who's not I mean, he's not the most charismatic guy. I think he's very uh, he presents himself incredibly well, but is not he's not a Bobby Bowden. He's not a Lou Holtz. He's not a coach who who himself becomes the face of the program. Ritter, I think, really has it on his shoulders and has done incredibly well being the, the, the face of Bearcats of late. To the point now that the last two press conferences Cincinnati has had, they have their weekly presser with Fickle. Ritter is a part of it. Ritter comes on after and does his own address, um, which I think part of it's the Heisman campaign, but I think also part of it is that as they've become a national brand of late, he's becoming the face of this this branding. He's having such a good year um, this year, 22 rush yards a game, but also, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of passing, um, you know, his numbers right now speak for us. And, and he was known so much more to this point as a, as a, as a running weapon, even in the game last year down here against UCF, you know, his running is really what won the day I thought for Cincinnati, but so far this season, 95 of 145, 1,289 yards, 12 touchdowns, only two picks. That's a pass efficiency rating of 164.74. And he's hitting on 13 and a half yards per completion, which is the highest of his career to this point, as is 257.8 yards a game. When you look at how he's developed to this point, um, what has been, what has he improved on the most? And how have his NFL prospects improved over the past, over these first five games? I would say over the course of his career, and I think specifically in these five games, he's almost had an evolution like Russell Wilson, who was very much in college early in his NFL career, a running quarterback. But his game changed as he got older. This is happening much younger for Ritter, but I think he's become more consistent as a result of being more of a conventional quarterback, one who can use his running skills when necessary. 
I envision in big games that he'll get more leeway to take off when he needs to, but he's certainly become a more consistent passer, a better decision maker. Early in his career, I think the problems were often first and second down where he'd be a little bit lost on the normal plays, but then would make extraordinary things happen on third and 17 or some situation like that. But simply being dependable in the more uh, normal situation seems to be the area where he's gotten better and has also become the, fit, the the leader of the team in the last couple of seasons as well. So he's he has that in his in his toolkit, his ability to run. But I think he's evolved as a passer over the course of his time at Cincinnati. He's got the size, too, right? He's a big kid. Yes, he is. He's 6'4", 225. Yeah, big, strong kid. Yeah. Um, he's gotten a lot of help from Jerome Ford, too. And, and, Jerome, and Jerome, I feel, is like one of those, like he, he's like the real unsung hero of the offense. So you know, obviously you can talk about him, but who are some of the other unsung heroes really on the on both sides of the ball who've helped Cincinnati get to this position where they're 5-0 and number three in the country? In the last couple of weeks, Alec Pierce has emerged as their go-to guy. Earlier in the season, that wasn't really the case. Ritter was spreading the ball around, but both against Notre Dame and then against Temple, Pierce just caught an ungodly number of passes has proven himself to be more of a deep threat than he is typically. Uh, Cincinnati has other great threats at receiver. I mean, with uh, Trey Turner and with Trey Tucker and Tyler Scott, they're both big play kind of guys at tight end. They have a couple of good pass catchers with uh, Leonard Taylor and uh, Josh Wiley Um, on defense. Their linebacking core in particular has emerged as a very impressive group of tacklers who clean up anything that's happening. I think people knew they had Mijay Sanders up front and they had the very uh, vaunted secondary, but that linebacking core with Joel DeBlanco and, um, and Darian Beavers and uh, Pace, among others, has really emerged as being one of the best linebacking cores in the country. And I'm not sure that people exactly expected them to be where they are now with that group of guys. Yeah, I'm looking at these numbers on defense, and they're just astounding. Uh, averaging, they're 33, 33rd in the country in rush defense, second in the country in team pass efficiency defense allowed, second in scoring defense, fifth in turnover margin, first in red zone defense. You guys just do not allow points. Where, if there is such a thing, I think there are times when, you know, UCF had it in 2017 and 2018, where there was a stretch of time when the only team that could beat UCF was themselves. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati feels like they're at that point right now. Where is, from your perspective, being so close to the team, the weakness that they might have? That offensive line is not tremendously experienced. Jake Renfro is almost the leader of it at this point as a sophomore center, but there's a fair amount of inexperience up front. Uh, and Notre Dame exposed it to some extent. I think if you watch that, I, when I watched that film back, what struck me is the reason Cincinnati won that game was basically because of Desmond Ritter. Their quarterback play was so remarkably uh, better than what the Notre Dame had with the shifting quarterbacks. I think up front, Notre Dame was probably better, uh, particularly in their matchup on their defensive front against Cincinnati's offensive line. Cincinnati ended up getting a lot of pressure against the Irish, but uh, I think that's something that's suspect for uh, for Notre Dame and is a place that uh, UCF could potentially attack uh, on Saturday. Their kicking game is also very poor. Cole Smith had it was a very dependable kicker for Cincinnati last year. I believe he was all he was honorable mention all AAC, but he's three of eight right now, and he missed a mm. couple of kicks in the Notre Dame game. So if it comes down to that, that would not be something I'd be very comfortable uh, with as a Cincinnati fan. Even so, that was still your closest game, and it was a it was an eleven point game in South yes. Bend. I mean, you still won by double digits. So absolutely, uh, you know, and, and um, 
and let me ask you also about Luke Fickle. We saw earlier this year the the rumors flying around about him in in USC. Um, I know you're used to seeing all kinds of rumors about Luke Fickle over the past couple of years. What's the what's the sense right now? If Cincinnati say you know runs to the conference championship, maybe gets a spot in the in the CFP. You know, yes, the Big Twelve invitation is there. It's just a couple of years away uh, at the most. Um, do you foresee him you know, staying or is there a possibility he might move on? I feel like the only job he would potentially leave for is to go back to his alma mater at Ohio State. I think Cincinnati is sufficiently established now that if he had wanted to leave, he got offered a couple of lesser uh, Big Ten jobs in the offseason, apparently, and he didn't take them. I, I think if he was willing to stay then, there's no reason not to hold out for the absolute most elite dream job for him. I think Notre Dame is also a potential wild card. He's a Catholic. Um, he's, he certainly was very complimentary of them all week. So that got me thinking if for some reason that job became open, that might be another potential landing spot for him. But I think it's unlikely other than a couple of positions he would consider leaving. Oh my God. You know, there's no way Notre Dame is going to take two straight coaches from Cincinnati, man. Come on. There's no way they're going to, the fans are going to love that. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, no. the um l- let me ask you about the program in general of course you know ucf and cincinnati are both scheduled to join the big 12 officially no later than july the 1st 2024 um give us the, the 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 overall lay of the process even over the the long term over the years of cincinnati flirting with the big 12 you know we know you know ucf's process with it over the years and we we're part of that thing a few years ago where they brought everybody in for the dog and pony show and then said no. And now they say, yes. Um, you know, I think you guys have always been sort of tied in as, Oh, a partner for West Virginia, you know? And yes. Um, but, but tell us about how, you know, that whole process played out for Cincinnati in particular. It really just seemed like a lot of cloak and dagger and rumors kind of thing for years. There was always whispers that always seemed imminent. I, I, part of me felt like it was never going to happen. It's just something people always talked about. People always assumed was going to happen. And every time it didn't, it was just this day of great disappointment. So I just said, let's stay where we are for now was my attitude. If things evolve, we'll, we'll, we'll take it on. But for a lot of Cincinnati fans, it was a continuous preoccupation. I think from the moment when Brian Kelly was coaching there a decade ago, when they were incredibly successful, a lot of Cincinnati fans never gave up, gave up on the idea that that was where Cincinnati belonged, that going seven and five was not good enough for them, that they envisioned this program as becoming an elite college football program. So that's that's been a part of the Cincinnati conversation ever since Kelly, what Kelly was there. Um, it's it's yeah, it's been a continuous drumbeat, I would say. And that's certainly the case with basketball, too. Um, I, I think in some ways the Big 12 will be a good fit for them too, playing in a stronger, a little bit stronger basketball league. Um, because that's that in historically, that was the straw that stirred the drink at Cincinnati. It's a real, relatively recent phenomenon since the year 2000 that, that, that football plays such a prominent role in the uh, uh, campus life and then just the uh, national perception of the school. So I, I think it's a good fit in several respects. I do. I look at West Virginia and have a bit of a fear, though, because West Virginia really struggled for some time in the Big 12. It seems like they've turned things around, but I would say that's um, I, I have some concern that they'll be in that that kind of a position when they enter this new league. Do you think that 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 leap of the football program is what really pushed it over? The, I mean, we know about Cincinnati basketball going back to the Big O, right? And yes. you know, and Huggy Bear had that long run there for for such a long time, but 
how big was it to get the football program to where it is? Oh, I, th- I think it wouldn't even be a consideration if, if the football program was it wasn't in such a place. I mean, you look at what's happened around the country. It's certainly been football, which has driven the transformation of these leagues more than basketball. That a program like Kansas is, was just kind of left out there and not even considered for all these other moves. Um, as storied a basketball program as there is, it's uh, I- I'm as big of a college basketball fan as I am a college football fan. So to me, it's a little I kind of I, I was kind of frustrated by it. But uh, it yeah, it's certainly football, which uh, which has shaped this entire process dating back to, you know, Penn State joining the Big East and all that stuff. So it's yeah. uh, it's a very long term, long term situation. How do Cincinnati fans view UCF as a program? With great respect. I mean, they're viewed as one of the other upper echelon teams consistently in the AAC. I think the year when UCF should have frankly won the national championship, I think that's that's a major consideration in Cincinnati's mind. What happened last year, they could completely empathize with UCF's situation. So I think they view them as one of the heavyweights and rivals in the league. And if, and if other programs are going to join them moving along, that certainly made sense as being one of the other uh, consistent powers in the conference. Um, <clears throat> you, uh, all right, so let's circle it back to the game here. So noon kick, obviously sold out. It's going to be wild. ABC. Uh, we were thinking there was a good possibility that even with UCF going three and two to this point, you know, there's still just two plays away from being five and all, oh, like we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, that this could have been a destination for ESPN college game day. And I think yes. if, if UCF were healthier, if, if it was a, you know, showdown at the okay corral between uh, Desmond Ritter and Dylan Gabriel, I think they would be there. They're not, they're going back to Georgia this week. So mm. there's some disappointment among Cincinnati fans that, that, that game day is doing that, which they rarely do. They rarely go to two places in the same one place twice in the same year. You know, I think if they weren't number three right now, that would be more of a storyline. I think they're so focused on that 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 and it, it should be a disappointment uh, that it's not there. But uh, I think that's very secondary to being, being where they are right now in the rankings and also the Big 12 situation as well. Yeah, y'all are waiting for that. You want to go in undefeated for that uh, SMU game on the 20th. That's where they're probably going to show up, I'm thinking, right? <laughs> I would think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clayton Truder joining us from Down the Drive, downthedrive.com. Clayton Truder on Twitter, is that right? Yep, at Clayton Truder. Right. Yep. Now, uh, before I let you go, we got a lot of Atlanta fans uh, in the UCF fan base because, you know, the South and whatnot. So, of course. Uh, you have published this outstanding book, uh, uh, you know, and you're a tremendous Atlanta sportsman, in addition to being, you know, knowing everything and anything since uh, he tell us about your book. It's called Loserville. Is that right? It's Loserville, how professional sports remade Atlanta and how Atlanta remade professional sports. It's uh, being published by the University of Nebraska Press, which publishes primarily sports history as their area of uh, focus. It's a product of my doctoral dissertation, which I wrote a number of years ago, and it's finally become a book. Uh, Essentially, it's a story of how Atlanta invents the landscape of modern sports in the 1960s by being the first city that has this very coordinated corporate campaign organized to try to lure professional sports. And Atlanta goes in 1965 from having no big league teams to having all four major professional sports leagues in 1972. They do this by building two stadiums, the Omni Arena and Atlanta Fulton County Stadium to draw the teams in. City leaders think this is going to be this great source of prestige for the community. It's going to be a civic unifier. And it really doesn't turn out to be either uh, or quite as they expect them to be. The teams struggle on the field and they struggle at the box office. 
it's essentially a story of what became very common throughout the South and the West as cities got pro sports. Cities modeled themselves after Atlanta in terms of luring in teams by building stadiums. But uh, the teams, often you had new ownership groups or unfamiliar with the sport ownership groups who didn't really know what they're doing. You had fan bases that had a lot of transplants from other places where people were loyal to their existing teams. And just because a team had Atlanta on the front of its shirt or or Tampa or San Diego or Phoenix didn't mean that the local population was going to make that their their pride and joy. So it's essentially a story of Atlanta sports in the 60s, 70s and 80s and uh, how things don't quite work out as civic leader intent, civic leaders intend. And it's available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those other places. Yeah, I, got, I know we got a lot of folks on uh, UCF Twitter who are also uh, big, uh, big Atlanta fans. Of course, you know, I mean, the Braves were were baseball in the South for so long prior Absolutely. to the Marlins and the Rays, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, I, 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 you know, forgot all about that. that. It was a relatively short time that Atlanta acquired all four franchises in all four major professional sports because the Falcons were an expansion team. The Hawks moved from St. Louis. The Flames were an expansion team before they moved. They were in Atlanta before they moved to Calgary. And then um, and then, of course, the uh, what am I missing? Well, obviously, the Braves moving from uh, moving from Milwaukee. So. um, So, yeah, it was pretty quick. And and, um, everyone I still I still think thinks the Braves are, are the standard bearer. Um, oh, absolutely. And, yes. and especially, you know, uh, you know, the run that they had 20 years ago of what, 15, some 14 or 15 consecutive division championships, yeah. division championships, only one World Series out of that. But still, um, you know, multiple guys in the Hall of Fame. I, I just, it, you know, but, um, you know, they to me are the standard bear still, you know, even as a, as a fan, even though I'm not as you know big a baseball watcher as I used to be, it's, st- it's still something. And you know, it's a shame that hockey couldn't work in Atlanta. Too. I, mean, I just, it, 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 you know, it, two franchises, it's not, you know, I was there for the Thrashers. I worked actually in Tacoma when the Thrashers were there right before they moved to Winnipeg. And, it, and, you know, I remember they were, they were literally handing people tickets outside of Phillips Arena, like saying, please come to the game. And I, one time, actually, me and me and my now wife and my best friend, we, we went in and caught a game <laughs> for free that they just gave to us. It was, it was, it was cool to watch hockey in Atlanta, but it was just, you know, it, it, you're like, yeah, this is not going to work, right? One of the surprising things is the Flames really drew well in their early years because it was such yeah. a novelty, particularly for affluent consumers on the on the north north side of Atlanta. For like a three four year period, it was the go to gift for the holidays was to give somebody a partial season tickets to the Flames. It's like going to the ballet, like going to the theater, sitting in nice comfortable seats. People would wear furs and suits and get really dressed up to go to the hockey games. And it was right next to underground Atlanta when that was a yep. real phenomenon in the 70s. So it uh, it was a big deal for a few years. Um, I mean, the Flames, as much as anything, left because their owner, Tom Cousins, got in trouble with his real estate empire. He ended up owing $100 million on the Omni International Complex. And uh, that was one of his ways of bailing himself out. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. And then, he moved to, then they moved to Calgary in 1980 and won the Cup in 88. So Yeah, same um, GM. Yeah, that's true. So, um Cool. So uh, Loserville uh, is the book. Make sure you, if you're a big Atlanta fan, I definitely recommend you uh, pre-order it. When's it coming out again, Clay? Comes out February 1st, available for pre-order uh, everywhere. Excellent. And congratulations on the book and congratulations oh. on the Bearcats on uh, to the Bearcats on a really good season to this point. Noon kickoff 
on ABC, UCF and Cincinnati. Not quite what we thought it would be about six weeks ago, but it's still going to be a huge game. Clayton, uh, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be catching the game? Are you going to be there? In front of my television. Uh, okay, that makes two of us. So, so we'll be there. <laughs> All right, man. I'll catch you on Twitter. Clayton Truder on Twitter. Down the Drive on Twitter as well. Down the Drive. Com, part of the SB Nation Network. Clayton Truder, thank you so much for joining us, man. Enjoy Saturday. Enjoy, hey, listen, enjoy this run, man, because it comes to it, because it's going to come to an end one day and you don't know how. And then you're oh, going to be like, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly will, Jeff. Thank you. Good, good luck for the rest of the season. All right. Appreciate you. Talk to you Saturday. Thanks to Clayton for his uh, insight and make sure you pre order the book, Loserville about Atlanta sports in the early part uh, of the, in the uh, late sixties and early seventies, really looking forward to that part of his doctoral dissertation guys, man, we've got, we're bringing in some, some heavy hitters out here. True. I feel like we're like now, like we're, we're, this is like a tough act to follow after that. I know. I know. Right. So um, um, I do not have a doctor. So I did stay at a Hollywood Express one. <laughs> All right. So, so let's, let's, let's wrap this UCF Cincy preview here. So, uh, 21-point spread as of right now, Wednesday afternoon, according to Odd Shark, in favor of Cincinnati. And 81% of the money is on Cincinnati minus the 21. Over-under is 57.5. 80% of the money is on the over. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> here's the proof's in the pudding right now. I mean, this is a road game. Advanced stats think it's going to be closer than people think. I don't know. Uh, Drew, what, what's the formula? What's the formula for uh, Eric? We know what you said. The formula was you got to cause some turnovers, get an early lead, and then just hope Cincinnati plays into your hands. Drew, what about you? What's your formula? It's about containment. It's, you know, bend, but don't break up, make them have to, to win it on the ground. You know, so you don't have to, to rely on the defensive backs. You know, they had a great game against East Carolina, uh, but Desmond Ritter is a smarter quarterback than Holton Naylor's. Naylor's is known to just chuck the ball. Uh, Ritter's not not that reckless. Uh, his two interceptions is a good example as to why. So you're, you're going to have to settle up more in the trenches. And, you know, as long as Tatum Bethune stays healthy, they have a good chance. UCF showed a little bit of creativity on the defensive side last game. They started employing a nickel defense, which they hadn't done prior to, uh, to this point in the season. They, they may have to do that for some points if they, if they were airing the ball too much and you know, give the defensive backs a little extra help by having that extra guy out there. And you have the linebackers with a lot of talent between uh, Bethune, Jean-Baptiste, and Armstrong to cover a lot of the field. Uh, on the offense, offensive side, no mistakes. There's no room for error. Uh, you, you basically have to play a flawless game. Uh, the offensive line is going to have to be very explosive to open up the running games. You don't have a big running back. Uh, Mark Anthony Richards is basically your biggest guy, and he's he's not a bruiser like Isaiah Bowser is. And I'm not expecting Bowser to play. Uh, I'll be I'll be pleasantly surprised if he does, but I'm not expecting. You got to you got to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. Eric, I want to ask you about the game plan on offense against this vaunted Cincinnati defense. Every defense is vaunted, right? Um, Mikey Keene right now, uh, his numbers on the season, 43 of 68, that's 63%, just below Dylan Gabriel, who is 68% for the injury. 427 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. That comes out to about 6.3 yards per attempt. That's not very high. 
Uh, is it what? What do you? What do you, if you're Gus? What are you telling Mikey Keene in this game? What is your game plan? Do you think we're probably going to see more Joey Gatewood, considering that the key to keeping the ball from Cincinnati is just running the ball? We, we didn't see Joey much last right. last week. Are we going to see more of him this week? And I then think what's the plan for Mikey Keene? I think you will. I think you're going to see Gatewood. I think you're going to see – I would not be surprised if you see multiple UCF players throw up ass in this game uh, because hmm. the problem is people are focusing on the yards, you know, what – you know, Mikey Keene is throwing average per attempt. The receivers well, are banged up. <laughs> well, the receivers are banged up. Like Jalen Robinson probably is out again. There, I'm hearing there could be other guys out. If you watch these Carolina game closely, there's some guys that got banged up in that game that ew, doesn't look. We'll see if they play. Like I would. I mean, this is going to be one of those where. I would not be surprised, like, if 60 minutes before the game, you start getting some tweets from people out in Cincinnati saying, hey, this guy's not dressing up. He's not warming up or whatever. Like, oh, man, you know. So running the football is the key. I think getting the ball in Johnny Richardson's hands is a key. I thought they found something there with him. And he's got a lot of guy, you know, running the the ball and catching the ball. But he's got to get to the outside. That's right. Got to get to the outside. When he got to the outside on that 49-yarder, that was the biggest play of the game, I thought. Right Right. But the thing is, it, I'm really interested to see how Luke Fickle handles this situation and his defensive coordinator, Mike Tressel. Drew, can you explain to the audience who Mike Tressel is and who he's related to? Just happens to be the nephew of former Ohio State head coach Jim Tressel. I wonder was, how he got there. Who was the mentor? Well, Fickle and him knew each other already. Um, yeah. Because Fickle's I'm being an Ohio facetious. State guy. <laughs> well, a little <laughs> UCF. All, it's all tied together. Well, speaking of ties, Jim Tressel was the head coach at Youngstown State when he brought him into the then Citrus Bowl back in 2008 to face Dante Culpepper and UCF. 1998. 1998. Yeah, and that was my first UCF game ever. You're old. Yeah, and, and it was and it was Jim Tressel who was the head coach at Youngstown State in 1990 when UCF beat them in the yeah. one AA playoffs, one of the biggest uh, games so in UCF's I, FCS right. history, too. So I'm curious to see because. Obviously, Cincinnati's game plan the last couple of years is to play the pass, right? The three, three, five defense. Well, I'm wondering now, does Luca do they adjust and try to take out the running game and dare the freshmen to throw the football? I think they're going to bring some pressure. So, look, when UCF gets opportunities also in the, this, in the Cincinnati territory, got to score. Got to score. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder if Gus will be more aggressive and maybe go for it on fourth downs instead of selling for field goals. Yeah, I think Especially you're right. Early. If you get, if you get, you know, one of those rare goal to go situations, like after a turnover, if you put together a good drive, you've got to score seven. You can't be set. You can't, you can't be go up. Especially six yeah. to nothing in the first no quarter with two field goals. Well, and playing you field goals. You got to put him down 14, nothing early and, uh, and, and just, you know, punch him in the neck, you know? I'm more so. concerned about the defense of Cincinnati than the offense of Cincinnati. Uh, aside from the fact uh, they're both sheer- they're both concern worthy. Let's be honest. Well, I mean they're both concern worthy, <laughs> but I mean if you had to put one over the other, uh, UCF's defense uh, I, I think is actually in better shape than the offense as far as from a health standpoint. Even with the loss of Kalia Davis, uh, from an overall standpoint, the the offense is is just is partially patchwork at this point you know the offensive line's in good shape but after that you know the guys are dropping like flies you know matt lee did miss the game but he, he's he's back uh, <clears throat> let's you know let, let's let's take a step back you know they're playing at home 
they they have that home crowd, that home field advantage. The team has not forgotten the embarrassing losses they've suffered, including in 2017, where they got blown off the field, not only by UCF, but by Mother Nature in only three quarters. And UCF already scored 50 points. They haven't forgotten that. Fans haven't forgotten that. Uh, this is going to be an incredibly hostile situation. It's a sold out crowd too. Yeah, sold out. It's be loud. Not, they don't. They don't that care. That it's is, a noon kick. Place, they don't that care. Place it's is so. That, uh, by, by, by the way, Nipper underrated stadium. It's nestled right there in that campus. It's, oh, it's, it's in between the buildings. It's noise a cool will place. Around. Yeah. And you're dealing with a, a true freshman quarterback and, and an offense that's still trying to figure themselves out. They're still learning them about each other. And that just takes time and, and experience and exposure. And there, there's no way around that. You just have to deal with it. So it's going to come down to being able to adjust to the loudness and the hostility and, and play air-free football. It's going to be on the ground. That's where, this, where it's going to be made. And I expect Cincinnati to deviate from the 3 because they don't need five defensive backfield uh, in the defensive backfield. Uh, Mikey Keene tends to throw underneath. You know, he hasn't quite developed the rapport, the timing, and the chemistry to be able to heave those balls downfield. He doesn't quite have the touch that Dylan Gabriel had at the same age. That doesn't mean he can't get it. It just means what he has at that very moment. Gabriel couldn't hit a short pass, but boy, could he hit a long pass as a freshman. Keene is the opposite. Hits the short medium pretty well for the most part. Doesn't throw the deep ball very well, but that's all stuff that gets learned. You just, mm. you need time. And this is, yeah. it's like time and reps. timing of having to go to the number three team in the country, but it is what it is. And you got to ride the guys who, who best get you there to the next step. And that's been the running game. Right. Last question for you, both of you guys, give me a real quick one. All right. The, the number right now is 20 and a half. Eric, does UCF cover? Nope. <laughs> nope. Drew? No. Nah. You know I, I want. I'd love to be wrong, but I do not think UCF gonna, covers. You know this what? Call me. Call me crazy. I'm going on the record right now. I think UCF covers. You're crazy. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You're, you're uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe just, Cincinnati. Unless Cincinnati's like distracted. I got a weird feeling here. I. I. You know. It, it's like I think Cincinnati's going to start to feel pressure now. I, and you. And you just don't know what that does to a team. Uh, they haven't really played with real pressure yet. They're going to start playing with pressure now. They're I mean, they had learn a close game like. against Temple. 52 to three. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not, are we really? Yeah, I don't think we're one to talk right now with our injuries. I, uh, I, I don't know. I just. Maybe maybe they'll be distracted by the basketball I, I th- media and I, polls coming and I think out. To your, and I think to your credit, Eric, you put the nail, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Gus knows how to coach games like this. No, he does. And I will say this in all seriousness, I wouldn't, I would stay away from this game. I would not like if you, you know, I'm only answering the question because if you force me to pick one, I pick that side. It's, and the key number there is 20 and a half. If that thing goes like 21, 22, I, I actually might take UCF. I just, that extra half point does make a difference uh, because I think three no, touchdowns is at, the right Drew, number. Drew, look at Eric, like making an excuse with the hook there. Come you on. You know, a man. shovel helps you dig faster. I mean, it does make, I mean, people that follow us as, as me and Drew are very fair, uh, experts fair. in this. It's, it's a big difference. But I would say I shy away from this because I do think Gus, as an underdog, we've seen it, him do it against Alabama, and, he, and he's done it before. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. But yeah, he needs bodies. His, he needs bodies. His Auburn team never had the, no. the amount of injuries. No, that, no, that that's the problem. No, he's yeah. never had to deal with the injury, by the way. He said so. He said so, oh, too. It's so. unbelievable. 
Yeah. But I mean, you, you got to play with the guys you got and, and you can't just pull them off, you know, pull them out of thin air. It's, it's what happened last year to the defense where a lot of players got hurt or dismissed and you're putting freshmen in that really had no business being on the field at that time. And they got chewed up and spit out. You know, you're seeing that here where, where guys that you don't expect to be on the field, like, like Mikey Keene, you don't, ex- you didn't expect to, to have to play meaningful time in 2021, but here we are. And, and he, is he ready? I mean, as ready as he possibly could be, but from the grand scheme of things, no, you don't know. Almost no true freshman is really ready to jump into this situation. Yeah, it just is. But you never know. You never know when a guy has that breakout game. So we'll see. You know, let's have our I'm, I'm really interested. That's a, that's a that's a tall challenge going against Luke Fickle's defense. But if anybody's up for it, Mikey Keen is. So all right, we're gonna, let's take a break. When we return. Our main man. Bryson Turner is going to join us, and he's going to talk about all the goings-on in UCF's Olympic sports, volleyball, soccer, golf with a big week coming up. That more Hoop it up. Time. We got some hoops. And we got, we got basketball, too, to talk about as well. Stick around. It's the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Let's, talk, let's real quick talk a little uh, basketball here, Eric Lopez. The preseason uh, polls and all conference teams are out for both men's and women's basketball. Ladies first, UCF picked second in the American in uh, media days. South Florida, the unanimous number one (laughs) in the American. Uh, Houston third, Tulane fourth, Temple fifth, Cincinnati sixth. Uh, UCF was essentially the unanimous number two because remember the coaches vote, but you're not allowed to vote for your own team. So, uh, so UCF is sitting there at the, uh, at the number two spot. Um, what are we thinking right now with, with, with this? I mean, I think that, that that's pretty much the consensus. I don't think that's yeah, a surprise that, where they, where they no, landed. Those but. are the top two, but I am shocked at how wide it is. And we'll get into this down the road when we do our basketball special. I'm now convinced there is not a more disrespected UCF team on campus than UCF women's basketball. Mm. I think this is up. It's a, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, South Florida is very good. When did they turn into UConn again, where they have all the players on the first team? We only have Tay Sanders on the first team. Yeah, three, three, three players on the first on the preseason all conference first team from USF. Only yeah. Tay Sanders on the first team. No UCF players on the second team. Two more South Florida players on the second team. Mind you, they were separated by a half a game in the standings this past season, and yet there's this gap. Right, I basically don't... three points. Right, and UCF you know. clings everybody back. I don't really understand that. We'll get into that when we have more time. That's my reaction, though, to the polls. Those are the clear-cut two teams, but I think it, the, I'm shocked that it's that wide of a gap. I, I really am. Uh, media days are underway, meanwhile, for American men's basketball. And women. That's and, our both and, doing and for, and for, They do both, doing both at the same time. But the men's side, uh, UCF is picked to finish fifth in the conference. Uh, only one UCF player on the uh, all-conference teams is Brandon Mahan, who is picked uh, on the uh, who is picked second team all-conference. I'm actually really surprised that uh, that CJ Walker didn't get a preseason nod. Um, look, I know the I know the Americans loaded, right? But I'm 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 a little surprised at that. By the way, preseason poll: Houston number one, eight of the 11 first place votes, not unanimous. Uh, Memphis second with three first place votes. 
Those are the only te- two teams that got first place votes. SMU, Wichita State, UCF, Cincinnati, Tulsa, Temple, South Florida, and Tulane tied for ninth. East Carolina bringing out the bottom. Um, I think UCF is primed to surprise some people in men's yeah, basketball. Yeah, but I think that's a fair preseason deal on the yeah. men's side. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> then, you know, but but I, th- I think that the talent level of that team is better than it can be if they right if they can put it together. Teams. Yeah. If they could put it together and everything, but I think that's more fair to be in that four five range. That's kind of where I thought they would be. I knew Houston and Memphis would be the top two. SMU has a lot returning as well. I'm, you know, I'm more shocked by the women's side. I think the men's side's more fair. There's more balance. That doesn't surprise me as much. Yeah. All right. So we now bring in our guru of go himself, Bryson Turner, to talk about uh, all the goings on around UCF sports. And it was a big weekend for men's soccer. They get a huge W. And you wrote about it, Bryson. Three to two over Tulsa. They stave off number six ranked Tulsa. Moves their RPI up 30 spots. That's such a huge win for Scott Calabrese's guys, Bryson. How did they pull it off? Well, I would I said it before I said it before the game that the game was going to come down to the defense because both teams came in tied for eighth nationally in scoring offense. And sure enough, when you look at the shots, Tulsa had 13 shots, eight of them on goal. UCF had 14 shots, seven of them on goal. So very equal. The the bigger difference comes in the saves. Uh, Tyler Tyler Levine, the freshman goalkeeper, had six saves, including compared. one in the final seconds. That was oh yes, huge. Avoiding yes. the equalizer there to avoid overtime. That was amazing. It was a very intense match too. Tulsa was all over the UCF offense. The UCF offense, and actually, the defense took over the majority of that first half. There were no scores in the first half. It was all the second half. You can mm-hmm. watch the Scott Calabrese and Nick Taylor's press conf- uh, press conferences from after the game, and they kind of expl- kind of talked about how, yeah, I mean, they, you know that that most of the offense ended up coming in the first half after the adjustments. But pro- but yeah, pr- props to Tyler Levine though because the defense ended up being the difference maker in this game because once because once the offense kicked in in the second half, it was really all about who was going to get more stops. And it was Tyler Levine, and it was Tyler Levine today. He got the six saves are a career high for him. I am very impressed with his performance, and I am very excited to see where how where how this men's soccer game, how this men's soccer team continue, continues because this is a statement win for them. Yeah, this is as big a win as they. They're right now they're at six and four, but they're four and one in the conference, and they've won. Right now, boy, they come on strong, right? They've won five of their last six. That that Memphis game just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. That three nothing loss to Memphis, but with five games to go, they now play another ranked team, Eric Lopez. They're at number twenty four SMU. Chance for big back to back because we know we know these two have a history. Lots of history. They uh, go they go. They always have to go through each other. SMU's ranked twenty fourth in the polls. You know, both in the 40s in RPI, both are conference championship contenders. It's going to be a battle. You have an added storyline with UCF's Nick Taylor, who transferred from SMU. That's right. More on that on our YouTube page. Listen to Nick Taylor's interview. We're going to have a feature on Nick Taylor in the future on Black and Go Better at Doc in depth about that. Bryson's working on it. But it's just an added storyline to this incredible rivalry. Maybe one of the best, right now, currently, one of the best UCF rivalries in any sport is men's soccer against SMU. And it's going to be a wild game like it always is. Uh, worth checking out on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, my boy Garrett Wolverd, uh, I wonder if he's still doing SMU stuff. I got, I got to see if he is in, over in Dallas. But uh, 
uh, 8 p.m. Saturday, October 16th. Uh, and then the next thing after that is uh, on the road at Temple Friday, October 22nd. All right, um, Bryson, let's talk some golf. Both UCF men's and women's teams bringing home some hardware this week. And I want to start with the women's team. They made some history uh, earlier this week up at uh, up in Virginia Beach. What what did they do? How did they pull it off? Uh, I would say, first of all, the team itself did an absolute, absolute amazing job. Uh, the team final round, uh, final round was the lowest 18 hole score in EV Odin invitational history and the third lowest 18 hole score in pro in program history. 274 in the final round. Yep. And yes, indeed. And that, but I think the, and then Jess Baker ended up having a great final round rebounding from shooting two, three over rounds. She managed, she managed to get into, into the top 20, her lowest 54 hole score in the highest finish season. Very great rebound for her. But the big story from this tournament is Tenrata Pitten, who was my night of the night of the week in nightcap. She not, she not only is beating her own single score average record right now, but she also is now is the fourth UCF uh, female UCF golfer in history to get an individual tournament win, joining Kristen Putnam, Liz Early, and Ashley Holder, who both me and Eric discussed in our UCF Hall of Fame stream. So that's certainly mm-hmm. great company to keep. And on route to there, she ended up shooting some of the lowest 18-hole score rounds over the course of an entire tur- yeah. tournament. It, and she had an ace. Too. Indeed, she also had an ace on hole num- on hole number seven as well. It was just an amazing, re- amazing week for Miss Pitten, and I'm excited to see what she will do going forward the rest of the season. Now, the men's golf team they've got a busy week. Now, the, uh, Johnny Travell uh, won won the individual medalist uh, on his in in their most recent tournament, and now they gear up for you know what I think is the Masters of College Golf, and that's Iowa. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Jagram, uh, the team, while the team did finish third in the team standing, they finished five strokes behind high point, though, though a 14 under par team performance is certainly nothing to slouch at. But the big story, I think, for the, uh, for this is the is the individual performance, because once again, we have three individual nights. In the top three, Johnny Javale got the win. It's his second <clears throat> win of the season in his second and in as many events because he won the Hartford Hawks Invitational last month. And also with his three wins, he is now tied with a slew of men golfers with three individual wins on their career. Uh, he, we, Louis, uh, Louis Carrera ended up getting second place for himself after he birdied the final hole. Well done for him. And then Marcus Bradley, who was who, a Texas Tech transfer, first year as a Knight, playing as an individual, he ended up getting finishing tied for third in, uh, with five under and shot the lowest round of the tournament with a 64, which nice. also ties in with Johnny Chavale for the lowest round of the season. And the, and I believe it is the four, uh, third lowest single round score uh, in UCF program history. So well, so well done from him. Uh, now, Shift Gear is looking at their next tournament is at Isleworth, which is, uh, you know, in town locally. Um, UCF is officially hosting it. It starts on Sunday, three rounds, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday at Isleworth Golf and uh, Country Club. Um, UCF has won this tournament before, um, but there is a really good uh, field coming into the Isleworth Collegiate Golf Tournament, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yes, indeed. I would agree with that. It's the Masters of College Golf. What do you expect? 
Uh, I will say that coming into this tournament, Johnny Javale, Johnny Javale is doing is definitely coming into this tournament hot, having won, having winning his last two tournaments. Uh, Clement Charmazon will be looking for a rebound. He had a bit of an off tournament in Carolina, but he's had two top three finishes so far this season. So I'm excited to see what he will what he will do there. But it's the Masters of College Golf, and I think that we'll be seeing a lot of great performances there. Here's your field: UCF, Augusta. Cal, Illinois, Arizona State, SMU, South Carolina, Florida, West Virginia, who's co-hosting the tournament with UCF officially, uh, Auburn, Coastal Carolina, LSU, Minnesota, UNF. That's a pretty loaded. That's a pretty loaded field. Um, yes, it, and it says uh, uh, right here, the Alworth Collegiate uh, recognized as college golf's major championship. They call it. So uh, this is going to be. It's going to be fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. All right. Um, let's move over to, uh, soccer, uh, women's soccer in particular had a real heartbreaker, double OT loss to use to USF, uh, two to one, which really hurt in terms of the standings in particular, which we'll take a look at in a second, but they were able to rebound, um, quite well, in fact, uh, in their next game as well. Thanks to, uh, thanks to Caroline Delisle. And uh, and so UCF gets the shutout win over uh, Tulsa three to nothing. Um, good to see them recover from that that heartbreaker to USF as devastating as that was. Oh, yes. Get, allowing a golden goal situation with 50 seconds to go in second overtime. That's a heartbreaking way not only to lose a rivalry game, but also a very key match for you for you for the Knights uh, because USF. SMU and all of them are are ranked higher around the same level in the RPI above UCF and winning that we've said it before winning that game was a result that use the UCF really needed in order to establish itself in the conference and it ended up and ended up not happening I mean this, yeah. looking at looking at both USF and Tulsa um, the, the narrative is still really clear. UCF has gotten plenty of offensive opportunities. The problem is, is that they, is they haven't been able to, is that their defense has allowed too many good shots on uh, good shots on a goal through less total shots. So I, I would say that's something that they, that, that, that the team would have to look at. Um, also USF had an all American, all American goalkeeper, which helped neutralize a, a very good UCF offense. That's had, that offense, uh, Kristen Scott, scored her first goal since September 19th, 19th, which has been a while. So good to see Kristen Scott get back on the board again. But yeah, as, uh, but as, I'm glad to see uh, women's soccer get that one in the win column. But as far as their R RPI ranking is concerned, I think that's something that we might want to monitor going forward because while they have been able to hang with some of the top of the conference, they haven't really been able to pull off the wins. Well, right now, Eric Lopez, even at 6'5 and 1, they're 45. Fifth, where does that really put them? That is that squarely on the bubble? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right on the bubble. Chris Henderson, who covers women's soccer very well, he just did his first mock NCAA tournament uh, projections. He has UCF among his last uh handful of teams in. He has South Florida as one of the first four out, which surprised me a little bit. The really? reason he he, he, he said that South Florida, the lack of top 50 wins is what's keeping South Florida out and has UCF in. That's why he has them in. That being said, UCF needs to take care of business here and get some wins here moving forward because they're not going to be playing top RPI teams down the stretch here. So you can't have any slip-ups. So 
Look, they're still in position to make the tournament, but the there's a very thin room for margin for error there. Uh, I you know, and I too agree with Chris on this. I the American has a chance to get four teams in, but I don't think there will. I think there's only room for three. So somebody's mm-hmm. going to get left out. It's either going to be UCF or South Florida or Memphis, and I don't I think just, it's Memphis. Memphis is leading the league right now. Yeah, Mem- Memphis right now is their RPI is 34. South Florida's RPI is 40. UCF's is 45. So even though right now UCF is actually seventh in the conference, yeah, they are one of those three, and I, I'm I, and that's really interesting. And, and, and even though think- South Florida has a head-to-head win in RPI, but again, he pointed out UCF has more top fifty wins, more quality wins, right. and and this is something I've spoken to the committee about. They don't look they they look at the body of work. They don't look at one match or this or that. There's a lot of variants. That's very important to monitor, to keep in mind, not only in women's soccer, but in volleyball. By the way, USF's next game at Memphis. Yeah, big match. On the 17th, yeah. So uh, as far as UCF is concerned, uh, as I hurriedly pull up their schedule. Uh, women's soccer actually has the week off this week. Their next week match off, yeah. on October, is on October 21st in Greenville against East Carolina. They have, And then they have their home finale. Uh, Three matches finale. left. Yeah, three matches left. Now, at ECU, home for Temple, at Cincinnati. So to give you a perspective on that, ECU right now is fifth. Temple is last. Cincinnati is sixth. So got to win. Got to win. Yeah, you got to win out. You got to win out. So um, we may as well assume that we're all going to go up to Memphis for the conference tournament. From there, you got to win out and, and get yourself in position. Um, because everyone else actually is going to have one more game to go than you do. So, uh, all right, moving right along on that, uh, Bryson volleyball, they split their two, uh, matches this year uh, or, or this weekend, I should say, suffering their first conference loss in 19 matches against Houston. It went five. You were there. That was a tight one. Houston looks, obviously Houston looks good. Um, yeah, they're they're tough, and uh, and I thought that Houston would be would be a real challenger for the for the Knights this uh, this year, but I also thought Tulane would be, and then UCF forty eight hours later goes out and takes care of them in four. So, um, all in all, what's the situation with uh, with UCF volleyball in your opinion? Because you know right now they're in a three way tie for first place in the conference with Houston and Cincinnati. Um, they don't have that. Uh, they don't have that tiebreaker now against uh, against the uh, Earth against uh, Houston, but still in a good spot, I think. Right. Yes, I would say they're still in a good spot. Um, looking at the match, you know, UC- UCF had had a similar situation they did against Wichita State, where they won the first set, lost the next two, won the fourth one, and then they went to the went to these more to the fifth set. This time around, it just didn't it just didn't work out. They lost the fifth set, fifteen to twelve, very close match. Uh, close match. So I we said that Houston would be would probably be the team in conference that would give them. That, that given the the best chance to have to get a conference loss and that ended up coming to pass i think this puts uh puts a bit uh, certainly a, a big a good amount of pressure on their regular season finale which is going to be at houston getting a win there to even up to even up the conference ma- the match between those two would be great for their stand for the standings and rebounding but um one thing that stood out to me in the press conference after the game from coach todd Dagenet was that ucf played to not lose 
while Houston played to win. And I think I, I think we definitely saw that because it was a close match and they, and it just ended up being coming down to the little things that Houston was just taking a lot more chances than, than UCF was. I think that after that, I think that the win against Tulane really shows the this team's ability to rebound and be able to and be able to learn from that because they went into two against Tulane and they went and beat them three one handily. So yeah. I would say that this is a that this is a really great rebound. I think we're, the team is still in good shape. That said, though, I would say that 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 there's definitely going to be some that makes that regular season finale all that all that more important. Right. They wrap up the season against Houston in Houston. UCF's RPI right now, Eric Lopez, 19th, despite a 12-6 and six record. That's ahead of Minnesota. That's ahead of Florida State. And it is way out in front of the nearest uh, AAC contender, which is Houston, but they're 45th. Boy, and that's kind of the problem UCF's going to run into here as we move to the next last month here. Miami, for example, is 17. Miami's hosting Pittsburgh this Friday night on uh, volleyball. That's a big match. So – Pittsburgh's uh, so, number two in the RPI. Yeah, in, so, in the I mean, yeah. if Miami keeps playing well, which they have since they played UCF, there could be the team that ends up hosting, and UCF may end up going there as a two-seed, which means they might likely play Florida in the first round, which is not mm-hmm. easy. And then you have the A-Sun champion, whether it be Florida Gulf Coast or North Florida. That's where that's going to be the interesting debate. The problem is UCF's not going to have enough top 50 games down the stretch compared to the Miamis and the Florida States. That's where they may get caught, but – you, you need you Houston keep, to keep winning, so that can be a top 50. <laughs> absolutely. You need to, and you need hopefully somebody else to step up. But in the meantime, now UCF's got this long road trip, Jeff. You can't have more slip-ups because, look, Todd would be the first to tell you. If he was on this show right now, he says, I don't care about all that stuff. You guys are wasting time talking about the RPI because we're focused on trying to win a conference yeah. championship. And you in this league, he said it, you're not going to go 20-0 and 0 in this league. And I think Houston announced themselves as a legitimate contender with that yeah. match. Uh, Wednesday at USF, so yes, road game, not very far to travel. October 17th, that's Sunday at Temple. October 22nd, Friday at SMU. October 24th, Sunday at Memphis. Those are UCF's next four matches. They are not back home until two days before Halloween when they take on Tulsa, October 29th, Friday, 7 p.m. So that's going to be a long time before we see them on the uh, on the home floor. Real quick before we wrap, um, Tennis, uh, UCF had a couple of tennis players competing in the ITA All-Americans, Trey Hildebrand, Bogdan Pavel as well. Uh, and then the women's tennis also competing in those uh, off-season tournaments. Uh, Evgenia Lavasheva and Valeria Zaleva uh, in South Carolina both went one for one in the tournament. And then, and then a little bonus for uh, Bryson, you know, UCF had two alumni competing in the new, professional, new Premier Rugby Sevens, a professional Rugby Sevens League. Um, Kristen Thomas, of course, who's just fresh off of the Olympics, and Courtney Keel, who used to who used to be the president of the UCF Women's Rugby Club, uh, competing in that touring league. So make sure you read up about that in uh, in the nightcap, which you can check on Black and Gold Banner at courtesy of our very own Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Thank you, Bryson. Thanks, thanks very much, Jeff, for having me on. Always love looking, sifting through what UCF has to uh, has to offer, and I'm very excited to see what else is in store this season, especially that men's soccer match coming up. All right, everyone, make sure you follow Bryson. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter as well. Elo, busy week. Where are you going to be watching this game, the Cincinnati game? Uh, from home, hoping for the best <laughs> in a fetal position, probably. And uh, it's, it's like it's like a hurricane, right? Can I join you, Eric? 
yeah it's like, it's like a hurricane back. you hope for the best and you prepare for the worst pretty much <laughs> it's that's pretty much my approach to this right now. i still have a good feeling i still have a, I'm glad uh, you a, do. You might dress I, I, up I, you might need to be dressed up I, who knows i still have a good feeling i still have a good feeling i don't know what it is i'm not over here saying we're gonna win i'm not over here saying we're gonna lose i'm just saying i don't know i think we'll be i think we'll be a, it should be a nice day. sunny day in orlando so i mean you know i mean it'll be all right. 12 noon kick ABC, UCF against Cincinnati. Thanks again to Drew also for stopping by with us to talk football. Statboy Drew on Twitter. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow us collectively at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And I do want to send out a very special thank you to the producers of Our Time UCF Football who snagged a couple of segments from last week's podcast and put it on the most recent episode. I almost passed out when I saw that to, to, to start the pod, to, to start the show. That was so awesome. Thank you so much to the guys that they, Hey, we know someone's listening guys, right? Hi, ESPN. Holy smokes. I, and make sure you check it out. It's amazing. It's such a good show. Um, our time UCF football on ESPN plus folks, if you don't subscribe to ESPN plus yet, and you're a UCF fan, what are you doing with yourself? You need to subscribe to it. Uh, they are uh, where you can, you can hear Eric calling games for softball. You can hear me calling games for volleyball. You can see soccer, all these exciting sporting events that we talked about. They're all on ESPN plus so, and you can get our time as well. It's really fantastic. I hope you guys get the chance to check it out. Um, again, thanks again to the production crew, uh, and the producers and the editors uh, from ESPN Plus for uh, you know, Brett Terhune and um, and Bo Mattingly. Wow, what a job they're doing with that. And we're very, very thankful that we were included in that. That was very, very cool. Unexpected. Very cool. Thank you, guys. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, if you're on an iOS device, if you're on Android, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. If you do subscribe to us, please leave a comment and a rating. If you don't, please do subscribe to us. Also, if, uh, if make sure you leave us, uh, you can send us uh, messages at UCF underscore banner. We'd love to hear from you. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Catch you next week. Bye.